you standing, and if you are able to, turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 is where we will begin. And as you uh, who are very smart realize, that's not John 4. Um, you're correct. That's not John 4, but it's Acts 2. The reason being is uh, today is uh, on the church calendar the day of Pentecost. And uh, so I thought it would be good for us to, to to just remind ourselves of the significance of this event in the life of the early church and remind ourselves of the wonderful fact that the spirit is dwelling inside of us. So uh, so we're going to look at at Acts two. And also, I think it still connects in. It's not a complete distraction or, or moving away from where we're at in the Gospel of John. In John, chapter four, Jesus talks about a living water that that comes from him, I believe what he's referring to is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So uh, with all of those things in mind, let's turn our attention to God's word in Acts chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll cover verses 1 through 21. Stand with a sense of honor that God has spoken to us in his word this morning. The word of God says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, there were all together. they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and this, and at the sound, the, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, in Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come before you now. And Lord God, we thank you that you haven't left us alone in our sinfulness, but you sent your son to save us. And Lord, you haven't left us alone now in living our life for you, but you have filled us with your spirit. 
so that we might serve you faithfully, so that we might serve you boldly and courageously. And so, Lord, I ask now that you'd be honored and glorified through the preaching of your word, so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's, uh, it's been said of Baptist churches that we have an allergy to the Holy Spirit. Uh, growing up in a very charismatic and Pentecostal church, I can understand, and now serving in a Baptist church, I can understand that allergy that some Baptists have, right? And uh, as we as we as we live in this world today and we see society so vastly changing and, and, and maybe even you're so discouraged by what you see happening around you, it's so easy for us to forget of the promise that we have here from Acts chapter two, that if you are a believer who's trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, God hasn't just saved you and left you alone in this world. He has filled you with his spirit so that you can live for him and that you can courageously and boldly tell others about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I mentioned, today is the day of Pentecost, not the day of Pentecost, right? But it is uh, on the church calendar, a day that's set aside to be reminded of the fact that we're not alone in this world, right? Yes, we have our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's a wonderful reminder and encouragement to us that we're not alone. But it's also a wonderful reminder from Acts 2 that we have believers. We have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us so that we can live a life that's pleasing to Him and live a life that is boldly declaring His Word that He has revealed to us. So as we look at Acts chapter 2, what we see here are the events surrounding Pentecost where the Holy Spirit, the, the Helper or the Comforter, as Jesus describes him, is promised, he promised he would sin. And when he, uh, and so that is what he is doing here in Acts 2, is Christ now has ascended to heaven and he is sending the helper, the comforter, the spirit of the Holy God to descend and fall upon the lives of his believers. And so in verses 1 through 4, what we see are these, uh, they describe these extraordinary events of Pentecost. We see it says in verse one on the day of Pentecost. So the, the, this this word here means 50. The day of Pentecost in in Greek means 50 or Pentecost means 50. And so uh, it, what was happening here was the Jewish celebration of the festival of weeks. Now, the festival of weeks in the Jewish calendar was also known as the festival or the feast of harvest or the day of the first fruits. It's described in Leviticus 23 if you want to read more about those events there, but what it was meant to be is it was meant to be a celebration of the Lord who provides for our needs. In the new harvest each year, it was meant to be a time in which they set aside their offerings as first fruits of a harvest to the Lord. And so what would happen is that Jews, as we see here, from all over the Roman Empire, they would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate this, this festival of weeks, this festival of the first fruits. And as they are there, we see this incredible event happen. Described in verse 2 and 3. Uh, suddenly there came a wind from heaven. A sound, a heaven from like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. In other words, what's happening here is the spirit of the Holy God is falling and descending upon them with these supernatural signs of the sound of wind and the tongues of fire. This 
sound of the rushing wind from heaven filled the entire the entire room. And, and all throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament in particular, the, the wind was a symbol, a picture of the spirit and breath of God. So notice it says that the wind from heaven filled the room. So in other words, the spirit of God, the breath of God was filling the room and these tongues of fire appear upon them. Now, what's with these tongues of fire? Well, fire, just like wind was symbolic of God's presence in the Old Testament, fire was symbolic of God's presence to, to communicate to his people, to, to guide them, to purify them and to judge them. Think of in the Exodus event. Remember a couple of years ago when we went through the book of Exodus? What were they guided by at night? It was a pillar of fire that, that led them. God's presence in their midst, leading them through the wilderness. Fire is also a symbol of, of God's purifying of his people. His, 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 um, his uh, cleansing of his people. Exodus chapter 3, God speaks to Moses out of what? A burning bush, right? That was said to be holy ground. And so God leads the people out in the wilderness, guiding them with a, with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. Exodus 19 verse 18 talks about God descending in fire on Mount Sinai to give Moses the law. So fire was often symbolic of God purifying his people, guiding his people, and also speaking to his people. But why are they tongues of fire? I think possibly one of the reasons likely is because one of the significant things that you have happening in the early church, especially described throughout the book of Acts, is that God uses his people's tongues, or we could say mouths, to do what? to declare the good news, to spread the good news of the gospel. You'll see, if you read through the book of Acts, you see that God uses men and women to speak about his glory in Christ through the preaching of the good news, through the sharing of the gospel, and through being faithful witnesses testifying to what God has done. Oftentimes, this text, when it's talked about and discussed today, it's often talked about, well, do these things still happen today? And that's a, often, that's, a, that's a loaded question, and it takes lots of time and detailed arguments. But let me simply say, simplify my answer to say, do these things still happen today? Yes. These things happen at conversion. At conversion, the believer experiences their own Pentecost, of God's Spirit descending upon them, of them being filled with the Holy Spirit. Not so much in this visible way, right? But in a sense in which the Spirit falls upon us, we are experiencing our own Pentecost, where we are filled with the Spirit. So simply put, yes, it does, but not in the exact same way that we see happening here. There's so much more that could be said about that. And if you have more questions, I would love to speak to you about that afterwards. But let's think about I think so often we get caught up in the debates about what is this, what, what are the speaking of tongues, you know, what does this all mean, do these things happen today, what does it look like, and, and all of these things, and we miss out on the incredible significance of this. We can get so caught up in the debates that we miss out on the significance of this event. Why is it? Why does Pentecost matter? Why does Acts chapter 2 matter? Why does Jesus choose Pentecost as a day 
in which to send his spirit upon the church to empower them to live for him. John Piper put it this way. I think it's a very helpful in understanding the significance of why the day of Pentecost was used by the Lord and why it matters. John Piper says, because on this Jewish holiday, there would be multiple pilgrims in Jerusalem from all across the known world. It was on uh, it was one of three Jewish feasts that called for the Jewish people to go to Jerusalem. And it was a feast of harvest, a feast celebrating the new harvest. And so we have here this wonderful symbolic significance of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in power that was meant to empower for what? For witness and for world evangelization. And that is what happens. Once Peter gets up to preach after he's done, 3,000 people are saved. And he goes on to say, it's a shame that the word Pentecostal power that's so often used today has has many has become for many people associated with what? Speaking in tongues rather than with the with world evangelization. So in other words, think about it. When we use the word Pentecostal power today, what often comes to mind? Often comes to mind, uh, maybe more charismatic in Pentecostal churches. But really, biblically, what should come to mind is how the Lord is giving us here a glimpse of the gospel going forth to all nations. Pentecost here is a picture of a world harvest that's foreshadowed here in Acts chapter 2. Don't you see in in verses 5, really through 13, all of the nations and regions that are mentioned there? I read them for you a couple of minutes ago. I won't have to repeat them, but don't you see? There are countless regions and nations that are being mentioned here. And what's really going on here at the day of Pentecost is that it's a picture of the new creation that comes about by the power of God, in which people from every tribe and tongue and nation are given new life because of what Christ has done. And they are then empowered to continue on Christ's mission. You know, in the new creation, the the true people of God, they don't consist of just one nation, but people from every tribe and tongue and nation. It's one people made up of all different skin colors and dialects that have been united by their faith in Christ. And this is the beginning here in Acts chapter 2. It's the beginning of that new creation. It's a dawning of the new heavens and the new earth. It's a foreshadowing of how one day people will sing the praises of God in all kinds of languages. Not just in Hebrew or in English or in Greek, but in all kinds of languages that we've never even heard before. You know, when you go to a foreign country, there's a barrier, right? There's a language barrier. Uh, we're going to go on a missions trip in July and August uh, to Spain, and there is going to be a language barrier. Uh, I didn't take Spanish serious enough, and I really regret it. But there's a barrier there, right, in our communication with people who are locals in that country. There's that language barrier. And why is that language barrier there? Well, what happened in Genesis 11? The Tower of Babel, man thought that he didn't need God. So what did God do? He confused their languages. And now we have a language barrier. But in Acts chapter 2, right here, we're given a glimpse of what it's going to look like to stand before the throne of God and sing his praises. Uh, I love the the text in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, where John is describing there. He says, and after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number 
from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne into the Lamb. So here in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, that language barrier, that dividing wall is broken down, even if just for a moment. And what they are given then and what we are given today is a little glimpse of the great and global purpose that the gospel is meant to be spread to the ends of the earth. That every tribe and tongue and nation, that people from all across the globe would bow to Christ and submit to him as their Lord. And so this is a Pentecost is a foreshadowing of that glorious day. As you see, friends, too often we focus on the tongues and the debate uh, on does this happen today? And we miss out on the significance of this event. And we also miss out on the significance of what those tongues were saying. You see what those tongues were saying? In verse 11. It says that both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, they said, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So in other words, the debate today distracts from what was actually going on here. What's going on here is they are declaring the mighty works of God in these tongues. Tongues from all over the world. Praising God for his mighty works. Friends, the greatness of the God who saves, the greatness of the God who created all, who made man and woman in his image, but they rebelled against him. And he promised to send his Savior and save them from their sins. And he did. And then Christ, our Savior, when he came, he died for our sins and he's alive. And now that Savior has promised that he would send his spirit to guide us to empower us so that now we would worship and sing his praises, sing the praises of the great God who saves sinners. Friends, Christ, when he ascended into heaven, he didn't abandon his church to be on her own. Rather, he ascended so that he could send the spirit to empower his believers to sing and preach and share the gospel with boldness and clarity so that we could declare the mighty works of God. So I ask you, friend, are you doing that? Could it be that those who aren't declaring the mighty works of God, it could be that maybe you're here today and you've never actually trusted in Christ yourself. May you see the mighty work of God in, in not leaving you in your own sin, but sending his son to save you. And may you trust in him today and be filled with his spirit to declare the good news of the gospel here and to the ends of the earth. So again, we can get so caught up in the debates, and I, I'll be honest, I like debates, I think they're fun. But we miss out on the significance of what these tongues were actually saying and what they were declaring. They were declaring the mighty works of God. So Pentecost gives us a little foreshadowing, a little glimpse of that day that's pictured in Revelation 7 of how one day people from every tribe and tongue and nation will stand before the throne of God and praise them in their own languages, declaring his mighty works. So as these things are, are going on, and you know, it says in verse 12 that many were amazed and some were perplexed and they were saying to one another, what does all of this mean? Others mock them and they say they're filled with much wine. 
But then in verse 14, we see that Peter gets up and he explains the significance of Pentecost. He explains Pentecost. What is happening there? I, I remember um, one day I was driving to church and I had on the radio and there was a, a radio preacher talking about Peter. And he called Peter a piece of work. And he called Peter, uh, you know, he, he just he just went after Peter and just said, he's a piece of work. Peter is, is such a, a foolish man and, and just continued to ridicule Peter. And, and maybe upset. I didn't, you know, I didn't call in or anything. Maybe I should have. But that man, that radio preacher, failed to understand what had happened to Peter. He was talking about how Peter, I think he was preaching from the gospel where Peter denied Christ and he said, Peter is just a foolish man. You know, and, and just really went to work on Peter. And uh, he said, how could he do that? And things like that. Well, I think he, that man really failed to understand what had happened to Peter. What had gotten into Peter? What happened is now in Acts 2, he's able to get up and preach to thousands of people. What had happened to him? What had gotten into him? What had happened is Peter had seen the resurrected Christ. He has now been filled with the spirit, a man who just a number of weeks earlier was willing to cuss and call down curses upon himself for denying Jesus, saying, I don't even know the man is now in front of the thousands of people to get up and boldly testify to who Jesus is, that he is Lord and that he's Christ. In other words, what had gotten into Peter is the spirit had gotten into Peter. He has come to know who Christ is. And the Spirit had fallen upon him and changed him and made him into a new man. Doesn't mean that Peter was perfect, right? We see later in Galatians, Peter still struggled with his identity. He still struggled with how do we live out the gospel in light of the law and things like that. But I think really the lesson for us is how can a man who just a couple of weeks earlier cusses, uh, calls curses upon himself for saying he doesn't even know Jesus is now able in front of thousands to declare who Christ is. How is he able to do that? Because he's come to see who Christ is. The mighty work that Christ has accomplished on his behalf. Friends, I think there's a lesson here in Peter's boldness here at Pentecost. There's a lesson for us that no matter how terrible our sins are, no matter how badly you may have failed and you have failed in the past, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for you. No matter what your past looks like, God can redeem it and he can forgive it and he can use broken sinners like you and me and like Peter and make them into a new creation and then use them for his great and glorious purposes. Doesn't mean God takes sin lightly by any means. But no sin is too big for our great God. And we see that in the life of Peter, don't we? Who denied Jesus. And yet, now God is going to use him greatly for the advancement of the gospel, for the building up of his church. So the Holy Spirit has fallen upon the followers of Christ. It's accompanied by the sound of wind and these tongues of fire, representing God's presence there to reveal and communicate with his people. And there are people there, Galileans, who began to speak in other languages, languages that are known by the visitors to Jerusalem. They heard and they're amazed how could they speak in these languages? But yet others mock them, right? They're saying what? They're simply just drunk. And so in the midst of that situation of the amazement and the mocking, Peter gets up filled with the Holy Spirit 
and he preaches this sermon. And Peter's sermon can kind of be broken down in this way. Verses 14 through 21, his explanation of Pentecost. And then in verses 22 through 36, his explanation of Christ. So he explains the significance of Pentecost and he explains the identity of Jesus. So he gets up in verse 15 and he says, he, he, uh, sorry, verse 14, he says, Men of Judea and all who are in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. Since it is only the third hour of the day. In other words, the third hour of the day is what time? 9 a.m. And he says, look, it's only 9 a.m. They're not drunk yet. I think that may have held more weight in their day than probably it does with you in our day. But no, Peter gets up and he explains what is going on. And so in verses 16 through 21, he's interpreting this miracle of the, the tongues that's happening there. And he's saying this is a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. See what Peter is saying here? He's saying this miracle of tongues, it's a fulfillment of what Joel, the prophet Joel prophesied. Look at me at 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So he's saying, look, these events that are happening here, they're a fulfillment of what God had promised long ago through the prophet Joel. The prophet Joel in the Old Testament he had been called by God to prophesy and to call the nation of Judah to repent. They had forsaken God. They turned their backs on God and he called them to repent and turn to the Lord. And so this prophecy that, that Peter is mentioning here from Joel as Joel chapter two comes right after in the book of Joel comes right after Joel described the day of the Lord when God would come and he would judge his people. And so Joel had described right before that in Joel chapter 2, he described this locust invasion that was either a literal locust invasion or maybe it was a foreign army that came through. In other words, it was a picture of destruction that was coming upon the people for turning their backs on God. And, 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 and so he was calling them to repentance. And yet God had shown his people there in the book of Joel mercy. He showed them mercy by, by not completely wiping them out. They lost a lot, but they still had an opportunity. They still had their lives. They still had an opportunity to repent. In other words, not all hope is lost. And friends, we need to hear that today, don't we? That not all hope is lost. For those who repent, the Lord will restore. And part of that restoration is a filling with His Spirit. That's where, as Peter quotes here, God will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So in other words, uh, Peter is describing here how the prophecy of Joel roughly 500 to 900 years before is being fulfilled in the events at the day of Pentecost in Acts, 2, Acts chapter 2. God had been merciful, had poured out his spirit on his followers, and now they have been declaring the works of God. And, and that's what Peter is doing here. That's what the people are doing here. They are fulfilling this prophecy that God had promised years and years prior. So he says, this is a fulfillment of what God had promised. But I, I want you to do something. 
I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And we're going to read that. And then also keep your hands here. Keep your, uh, keep your place at um, uh, Acts 2. And I want us to look at what's going on in these two passages. So Acts chapter 2. Verses 17 and 18, and then Joel 2, 28 and 29. So Joel 2, 28 and 29. So let's look at this, okay? And I want to ask you, do you see any differences between these two passages? So Joel 2, 28. God's word says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Okay, so keep your hand there. And now let's read Peter's quotation of Joel 2. Okay, now let's go back to Acts 2, 17 and 18. And it says, in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. What's the difference here? See a difference? Notice how Peter ends. He ends with saying what? And they shall prophesy. But in Joel 2.29, doesn't end that way. The order is switched a little bit, but, but, but really the, the, the emphasis here is on what? What is the major change? What's the major difference in verse 19? It says, they shall prophesy. You see that in Joel 2? That's not there. Well, does Peter misquote Joel? We, we have really the first Christian sermon, right? In the book of Acts, this, this sermon of Peter here at Pentecost is, I think, one of like 15 sermons. In, in, in the first, very first Christian sermon, uh, Peter, the apostle, what is he, he misquotes the Old Testament? You know, I feel bad when I misquote things. But at least my misquotations aren't in Scripture, right? But wait a minute. Was this intentional? I, I believe it is. Why would Peter add that at emphasis at the, again, at the end again? They shall prophesy. Some people said, well, look, it's an error. Uh, there's errors in the Bible. No, no, no. I think Peter is placing an emphasis on this, that they shall prophesy. Why add those words here when that's not in Joel well, I think you have to understand what it means to be a prophet in the Old Testament and a prophet in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, prophets brought the word of God. In other words, what, what they often did is they brought new revelation from God. But in the New Testament, we have the entire word of God, right? The entire revealed will of God. So the New Testament and, 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 and prophets are meant to do what? We are meant to prophesy this word. We are meant to declare this word. Remember, there's no new revelation today, right? There's no new revelation outside of Scripture. That's what it says at the end of Revelation. That's what Paul says in Galatians. There is a prohibition to add to the revelation. Why? Because it's complete. So what does Peter mean then here in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, what does he mean that they are going to be a prophet to prophesy in the New Testament? Basically, I think 
when you look at the way it's used in the New Testament, it's meant to be a witness. It's meant to be, prophecy in the New Testament is meant to be a witness because we're not revealing anything new. We're testifying to what has already been revealed. We're not just, uh, we're not revealing anything new, but we are a witness to what God has revealed in the Bible, in the gospel. Not just to be a witness to it, but to see it and to believe it and to declare it and proclaim it. So to be a prophet is meant to declare the revelation of God. But we live in a day when God's revelation is full, it's complete. Stick with me, okay? I know this is a lot. We're getting into some theological matters here. But simply put, I think when you boil it down, what does it mean to prophesy that Peter is speaking about here? We're not declaring anything new. We're declaring what has already been revealed. You understand that? The New Testament prophet doesn't declare any new revelation from God. We don't add to God's word. Rather, we are declaring what God has already revealed. In fact, you go back, you look at a lot of the work that Old Testament prophets did. What did they do? They went back to the law, right? They declared what God had already revealed and said, you're not living in that way. So do you see that? You understand what I'm saying here? I think oftentimes people confuse an Old Testament prophetic role with the New Testament prophetic role. And, and that's where people get into trouble today, right? And say, so-and-so, they're a prophet, they're an apostle, and they meet it in an Old Testament sense, and they think they're bringing some new revelation from God. Friends, those people are false teachers. God's word is perfect. It's complete. We don't add to it. So the New Testament prophecy that 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 that, that Peter is saying here it, it is not that we're revealing anything new. We are simply declaring what God has already revealed in His Word. What I mean by that is we don't deviate or add to Scripture. We proclaim God's Word. We proclaim the Word of God that has been completed. We proclaim the Word of God and we explain it. And so we could say that we are meant to be prophets as well. And what I mean by that is that we are meant to be witnesses to the mighty works of God that we see happening here, right? We are meant to be witnesses to Christ. And when I say that we're called to be prophets, I'm not saying that we all need to move out in the wilderness and eat locusts and honey, right? Nor am I saying we need to go stand on the corner of 41 and 49 with signs and yell at people as they're driving by. That's not what I mean by the prophetic role that God has given us. Prophets take a different form in the New Testament. They take the word of God that has been written and written upon our hearts and speak it to the people. Take the word of God that's already been revealed, the mystery of the gospel that's been made known, and we declare. So what Peter is doing here is what the other believers were doing when they're speaking in these tongues. He says that they're speaking as the Spirit gave them utterance. They know they were speaking about the great works of God. So that's what Peter is doing here. Is he's speaking the great works of God. So what he's doing in the sermon is he's declaring to them what God has done, what God has revealed in the Old Testament is now being fulfilled here in Acts chapter 2. Actually, if you look at the two words, the word used for utterance in verse 4 and the word used for Peter addressing in, utter, uh, uh, in the utterance used in verse uh, 14. So in verse 4 and verse 14, the same words that's used there for addressing them and the same word that's used for utterance in verse 4, it's the same exact word. 
they're the same words. What Peter is doing here is he is declaring the works of God. In other words, he's declaring who Christ is. He's giving and he's explaining to people the revealed will of God. And so friends, all this to say, if you have trusted in Christ, you have the spirit of God dwelling inside of you and you have a responsibility to declare the word of God. You are to introduce others to the God-glorifying and life-transforming gospel. It's amazing, isn't it? You see, this quote from Joel 2 is basically saying everyone whom God has poured out His Spirit upon, they are given this responsibility of prophesying, of declaring what God has done, declaring His mighty works. Friends, that's amazing, isn't it? Every single one of us has this responsibility, not just me, not just missionaries, not just pastors, not just church leaders, but every single one of us has been given this responsibility of declaring the good news, this God-glorifying and life-transforming gospel. God has given us this responsibility. He's given us this opportunity. It's not a burden. It's not a burden to speak the works of God. Rather, it's a freedom to speak the gospel. And that shouldn't be seen as scary or bothersome, but a task that we receive with joy. Friends, how are you doing with this task? How are you doing with declaring the mighty works of God? Now, being prophetic today, being a prophet today is more than just saying Jesus loves you and running away from somebody, right? There's a lot more to being a witness than saying Jesus loves you and leaving the conversation at that. When you look at what prophet's message was throughout the scriptures, It wasn't just simply saying God loves you. No, they explained how people had sinned and rebelled and forsook God. That judgment was coming upon them for their rebellion. And you look at what Peter is saying here. He's not simply saying that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, which he certainly does. But he reminds them of their sinfulness. He reminds them of the fact that they are sinners who crucify the Lord. But yet he also reminds them of who their Savior is. Friends, do you not see the great privilege that you have as a believer? God could have left us in our sin, but he didn't. God could have wiped us out, but he didn't. God could have left us without his word, but he didn't. God could have left us on our own, but he gives us his spirit. And he has given us this task of declaring the only good news that Jesus saves. So how are you doing with the task and the responsibility that God has given to you? So Joel is pointing out there and Peter is pointing out here as well that we have all been given this task. Believer, you have been given this task. What a privilege and what a blessing it is. We have been given this task of declaring the mighty works of God here in this community and to the ends of of the earth. What Peter is showing us today and telling us is that what it was happening uh, there is that the Spirit has descended and, and now there's an urgency to the task that we are given. There should be an urgency to declaring the good news of the gospel. Oh, that we would have this sense of urgency about us, right? that we would see the glory of God, that we would see the glory of Christ in the gospel and see the urgent mission 
that he has given us. God has given us this task of declaring prophetically that God has acted in history to save sinners and there is judgment coming and that their only hope of eternal life is trusting in Christ. Friends, do you have that urgency? You see that urgency in Acts? You see that urgency in the New Testament letters of what God is doing through the apostles? We read about that urgency in the writings of Paul, but may we also be filled today with that same sense of urgency as well. God has filled us with his spirit to declare these mighty works, not so that we would sit back and do nothing, but so that we would live out with a sense of urgency that Christ is the only one who saves. Maybe you are here today and you don't feel that sense of urgency. Maybe that's because you've never come to know Christ yourself. You've never come to see who you are in light of the Holy God. Maybe you have not confessed your sins to him. And you don't trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because if you don't submit to Christ, you don't trust in him as your Lord and Savior, you don't submit to him as the one who knows what is best for your life and you bow to him as king. You don't see that, that, that he was perfect and he knew no sins, that he died in your place. Then, friend, you have absolutely no this life here is all that you have, but it's but a mist. One day it will be no more. You have no hope beyond the grave. So, friend, if that's you here today and you have never trusted in Christ, do so today. Do not wait. Call out to God today because you don't know what tomorrow holds. God has declared and proven and shown here, as Peter says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, do you have this, do you lack this sense of urgency because you haven't trusted in Christ yourself? Or maybe others of you are here today and you don't feel this sense of urgency to speak and declare the truth of the gospel because you're burdened by sin. You, maybe you're burdened by a sense of the fact that you're not good enough. Would you be free from the burden of sin? Maybe you're burdened by the sense that you're not good enough. Friends, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not that you have to be perfect in order to come to Christ. You don't have to be perfect in order to share the gospel. No, trust in the one who is perfect for you. And live in light of what he has done. And then may you feel that, that freedom and that sense of urgency that comes with declaring how God has changed you through his son. Maybe you're a burden and you don't have a sense of urgency because you're weighed down by the cares and desires of this world. Maybe you're weighed down by the burdens of finances or what others may think. Brothers, sisters, don't be so concerned with worldly matters. But be very concerned with heavenly matters. Be very concerned with, what, uh, with the heavenly matter of the gospel. And ask the Spirit to fill you with boldness. So what's gotten into Peter? You know, I wonder, I wonder if, if some of the other disciples and followers of Jesus were thinking that very same thing as Peter was preaching. What's gotten into him? Wait, we remember just a couple of weeks ago that, that he wouldn't even say he knew Jesus to a servant in a courtyard. What's gotten into him? 
This man who just weeks before was willing to cuss and call down curses, denying Jesus, now stands up to speak. Stands up to speak, why? Because of the Holy Spirit that is dwelling inside of him. He speaks because of the truth of the gospel. He's a changed man, not because of what he has done, but because how through the Spirit he has come to see what Christ has done for him, and that has changed him. So believer, as we see the world changing around us, know and be reminded of the fact that as Paul writes in Romans 6, verses 10 through 11, that the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. So could it be that we have an allergy to the Holy Spirit as Baptists? Could it be that maybe we have that because we rely more on our own flesh then understand what God has called us to and the urgent task that he has given us to declare the only message that saves. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now and we do ask that you would fill us with your spirit to, to see who Christ is, to trust in him, to love him and to serve him. Lord, forgive us for those times where we have been so burdened, maybe by our sins or burdened by the desires and cares of this world that we lack a sense of urgency in living for you and speaking your word and declaring it and being a witness. Father, fill us with your spirit to be courageous and to be bold. But I pray that if there are any here today who haven't trusted in Christ, but may they see who Jesus is and what he's done. May they see that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And may they be empowered and may they be emboldened to live for you and to be a witness for what you have done for them. We thank you and praise you for what Christ has done for us. And we thank you and praise you for what you have called us to do in light of what Christ has done. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.